So we are here uh, for a couple days and excited to bring the word to you this morning. Uh, City Church has been very generous and encouraging toward us as we are seeking to plant a church that is going to be completely self-led by local people in the valley with the hope that it'll be a multiplying church that can strengthen and plant churches on both sides of the border. And so City Church has encouraged us, and y'all have been friends to us, and y'all generously support us, and so we want to say thank you. Uh, For individuals here who hear that your church is supporting our ministry and would like to learn more, we're actually giving a ministry update this evening. So find me after the service if you're interested in coming and learning more about what we are doing in San Benito. And with that... Let's get to Psalm chapter 2. So you can turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 2. And I'd like to pray for us as we get into the Word this morning. I'm really bad at Bible drills. I keep switching between Psalm and Job, so sorry about that. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your Word this morning, please give us meek and humble hearts eager to receive the word. Please help us to not listen to this sermon for someone else, but to listen to it for us, for those that need to be comforted this morning. We pray that you would comfort them with the sympathy of Christ. For those that need to be encouraged and strengthened and built up, God, that you would do that. For those that need to be taught the gospel more clearly, that you would help them to get it a little bit better this morning. And even for those who need to be challenged this morning, that you would wake them up to the reality that Jesus is king. pray this in his name. Amen. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. And I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. This is God's word. Well, the whole point of the sermon this morning is that Jesus is the good king. So submit your whole life to him. And I'm hoping that this sermon will move all of us in that direction this morning. But before we get to us today... I want us to think a little bit about them then. I want us to think about an Israelite 2,500 years ago and how they would have heard Psalm chapter 2. In particular, I want you to think about when the book of Psalms was uh, completed. 
So the people are back from exile. And they must have been asking this question, is God really in control? Because think about their history. The Assyrian exile of the northern kingdom has just happened. The Babylonian exile of the southern kingdom has just happened. And then under the permission of Cyrus, king of Persia, the people are now back in the land. They're rebuilding the wall. They're rebuilding the temple. And so they've been conquered and pushed around from one nation after another. And I want us to think about how desperately they needed to hear the truth from Psalm chapter 2 in a time like that. Apart from faith in God's word, I think it would seem like to them that God was weak or far away or that he didn't care. They're looking at Sennacherib of Assyria or Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon or Cyrus of Persia. And there it seems like that these kings and these nations are the ones who are really in control. But Psalm chapter 2 reminded the Israelites that it's God who is the ultimate king. He is the one who is in control. He laughs at the powerless of these powerful nations. And he will accomplish his purpose of ruling over all nations through his coming king. So that's the context. I want you to be in their shoes as you hear Psalm chapter 2 this morning. But let's take a look at the text, if you have your Bible still open. Stanza number one basically is this. The kings of the earth have rejected God's rule, and so have we. Starting in verse one, David is shocked that these kings and these nations would reject God as their ruler. Did you catch the first word of this psalm? He says, why? Why would they reject God? And he explains where their rejection looks like. Verse two. They come together to oppose God's anointed. Verse 3 says they can't bear the idea of submitting to God as their king. And so they burst their bonds apart. They try to get the burden of God off of them. They're cast away their cords. So let me summarize this section for you. And this is important because we're still surrounded by this today. The rulers and the nations want to be their own king. So they reject God as king and look for ways to oppose the gospel. Can you think of how that might be happening in our world today? Or maybe can you think about how that's happening right around us in our culture today? I think if we don't, if we look a little bit harder, we might be able to see how this even plays out in some churches today. Or maybe how this even plays out in our own hearts at times. Wanting to be our own king, so we resist his rule, and we resist the values of the kingdom. Values like love, service, sacrifice, unity. But God is king, and we were made to trust him and submit our whole lives to his kingship. But because of sin, not just the nations, but us as well, there's always a temptation, even for us as Christians, to try to throw off his rule in our lives. And this always leads us to try to be ruled by something else. 
If Jesus is not ruling over your life, then you will be ruled by something else. For example, consumerism. Or maybe it's people-pleasing. Maybe it's being ruled by safety and security. If Jesus is not your ultimate king, you will be ruled by something else. So here's a big question for all of us this morning. What are the things in your life that are threatening God's complete rule over your life? What do you spend the most time thinking about or daydreaming about? Or... What types of things control us so much that we become angry or depressed or anxious when these things are threatened? Does God have complete control over your life? Let's consider the second stanza in this psalm. The next stanza moves on and we learn that God opposes and mocks those who reject his rule. Man, this stanza should, you should be confused when you read this. We, we heard about how maybe she said churches in Dallas, but maybe the American church, sometimes we have a certain picture of who God is or who Jesus is. There's something kind of shocking here in stanza number two. The nations and kings are opposing God. They're rejecting his rule. They're plotting against him. And think about it. These are the most powerful nations of the world. Okay. So as we see powerful nations today rejecting God, it's the same context. How does God respond? It says, he who sits in the heavens laughs at them. We hear that God mocks his enemies. He holds them in derision. What do you think of that? How often do you think of God in this way, mocking his enemies? Our good, loving God mocks his enemies and holds them in derision. And what we're reminded of here is that God is in total control. Let me say that again. Whatever situation you're going through, whatever thing you saw on the news that you're worried about, God is in total control. He's not threatened in any way by these kings. And even still today, kings and nations and presidents and celebrities and even false teachers and churches, God is not threatened by them. And he will not stop the advance of the kingdom of God. This is truth from God's word. But we need to understand that when kings and nations and even churchgoers like us, if we resist submitting to God's rule, then we are mocking The kingship of God. You understand that? And God looks at them with laughter and contempt. With mockery. Because he knows that in the end, he will crush everyone who doesn't submit to his rule. So this is where it sounds a little bit different maybe than your typical American sermons. That this is who God is. He will rule either through salvation or through judgments, but he will rule. Now, before we start to accuse God of being heartless or unloving or lacking compassion, it's helpful to remember that God has already shown his ultimate love and compassion by mocking sin, death, and Satan. You see, our God is not like us 
He had every right to first destroy us because of our sin. Instead, he moved toward us first with grace, mercy, and compassion. Whether this is us or whether this is the nations of the earth today, he offers grace for his enemies, for those who have mocked his kingship by sending his son, the anointed messianic king, to live a perfect life of submission to his authority and then in our place to receive the mocking and humiliation and judgment that we deserve. We have acted just like the kings from Psalm chapter 2. We've tried to get God's yoke off of us. We have opposed God and his rule in our life, but we are not judged or humiliated or mocked as we should be. Do you feel the weight of that? We are not judged, mocked, or humiliated because Jesus took that on his shoulders. You see, Jesus didn't just die for our sins. He was humiliated and mocked for our sins as he took on all the sins of God's enemies. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. You can look on the screen behind me as well. I want you to feel the weight of this this morning. And remember that Jesus didn't just pay for the penalty for your sins. He didn't just die for your sins. He was mocked and shamed for your sins that you deserved. Matthew chapter 20, verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, and took the reed, and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, and put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. Jump into verse 39. And those who passed by Jesus when he was on the cross derided him wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with them also reviled him in the same way. This is the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm chapter 2. Herod and Pilate are seen as the rulers and kings of the earth. The Gentiles and the people passing by are seen as the nations and the peoples from Psalm 2. Jesus is the anointed king who invited everyone to find freedom in the kingdom of God. And now here at the cross, he is being mocked and ruled, mocked and ridiculed by everyone instead. But Jesus didn't try to defend himself. He absorbed all of their mockery. Now, why would Jesus do that? He took on their mockery and willingly went to the cross because his ultimate sacrifice was to hang on the cross and endure the mockery of God. This is, there's not only judgment for our sin, but that judgment does come through this mockery of God toward his enemies. And Jesus said, 
let me take that for you. Let me stand in that place being mocked by God as an enemy of God. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul writes, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. When Jesus took on our sin at the cross, he became a curse in God's sight, and God mocked Jesus by turning his face away from him. I want you to feel the weight of this. When Jesus felt the abandonment of God, because he hung there as an enemy of God, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt that mockery and humiliation that we should feel on judgment day. You see, rather than mocking and judging his enemies, God's ultimate mockery against sin and death and Satan himself was accomplished by mocking and abandoning his king on the cross. So that grace and mercy could be proclaimed to those same nations who have rebelled against him. So yes, Jesus will one day come to judge the nations. But first, he came and allowed himself to be crushed so that the nations could find peace and blessing and salvation through him. This is the king who rules over all. Let's take a look at the third stanza. Stanza number three. God has now given all authority to Jesus to rule. And this is good news for the nations. Might not be good news in the future, but this is good news now for the nations. He writes that the ultimate king has authority over all the nations. And one day Psalm 2 will play out in judgments. But until that day, our king moves toward the nations with an invitation of grace. I want to read the Great Commission to you, but I want you to hear it with fresh ears in the context of Psalm chapter 2. Matthew 28, verse 18. This is the king who has all authority. Jesus comes to his disciples and he says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. One of the ways that we as Christians submit to the rule of our king is by going out with other Christians to make disciples of those who do not yet submit to Jesus as king. That means that we are ambassadors for the kingdom. We are announcing the victory of the kingdom of God. And we go out in the values of the kingdom marked by love and service and sacrifice for others. We are inviting them to join into this kingdom. And I do want to clarify something. This is an identity and a calling that every single one of us have. And it looks different at different seasons. But all of us are ambassadors for the kingdom But hear me, it looks different for every single one of us. We all have different gifts and personalities and opportunities. And one of the dangers is that maybe you see like a really strong evangelist or really strong teacher or really winsome prophet. And you're like, okay, that's what it means to be an ambassador for the kingdom. That's not me. 
so I'm just going to go live my life how I want. Rather than realizing that God has given you unique giftings and unique opportunities to help people understand what it means to come into the kingdom of God and follow Jesus. So I want you to think about some of these. On the screen, we, we have a few here. This is from Ephesians chapter 4. Some of us are movement-oriented. That means that we, we're just unnatural for us to gather and motivate people for the sake of the mission. Some of you might be compelling prophets, meaning that you use art or songs or your words to wake people up to the reality of the kingdom of God. Some of you here, we know one for sure in this church, are magnetic evangelists. People can't help but listen to the hope that they are sharing with those around them. Some of you are caring shepherds. We've already heard lots of examples of the need for caring shepherds in the church. And you're willing to sit with Christians and non-Christians in their pain and remind them that Jesus sympathizes with them in their weakness. And some of you here might be wise teachers. And you love to be able to, over coffee or at your house, over dinner, or maybe after the church service, you love to explain the gospel to people so that they can finally get it in a more clear and understandable way. But here's the deal. The Holy Spirit did not make a mistake when he gave you your particular gifts to use as an ambassador in the kingdom of God. And he's given you those gifts, but he didn't uniquely gift us so that we would hide from our calling as ambassadors of the kingdom. Remember that Jesus will come in the future in judgment. Psalm chapter 2 tells us. But right now, he's sending us out to announce the good news of following Jesus in the kingdom of God. And every single one of us as Christians have been called into this special, unique calling. So where is God sending you as a kingdom ambassador this week? Based on your gifts, personality, and opportunities, what does it look like for you this week to participate in making disciples of the nations? And of the nations means Garland and Dallas as well. So how could you pray for people this week? Who can you serve this week? Who are the people that you can listen to and care for? How can you share the hope of the gospel with people who are needing hope? What does that look like for you this week? Let's see how this psalm ends. Psalm chapter 2 ends with some great application for us. Stanza number 4, basically, we can sum it up this way. Blessed is the one who submits his or whole life to the Lord. If you have your Bibles open, take a look with me at verses 10 through 12. Verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Here's the application. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled blessed are all who take refuge in him so four ways application here that we submit our whole lives to king jesus number one serve the lord with fear number two rejoice with trembling number three kiss the son and number four take refuge 
in him. And it is only fitting that we would respond to him with this type of worship for who he is as our king and what he has done for us. Number one, that we would serve the Lord with fear, not flippantly approaching him, but that we would approach him as humble servants. Y'all, we're reading Psalm chapter 2, and we're getting a picture of the majesty and the power and the authority of our king. That's the same king that we worship today. What is your mindset as you approach Jesus this morning? Number two, that we would rejoice with trembling. This means that we're not tossed to and fro by the ups and downs of life, but that we would rejoice in him with trembling. Paul says that through Christ we can be sorrowful, yet always rejoice. We heard a beautiful testimony about this a few minutes ago. This means that our hearts can be broken because of the sin of this world, but we don't lose heart because we worship a king who gives us a hope greater than this world. We rejoice with trembling. Number three, that we would kiss the sun. This means that we don't just call ourselves Christians while giving our hearts and our allegiance to lesser things, but that we turn to Jesus with hearts full of love and affection and devotion to him alone. Does Jesus have your whole heart? What types of things in your life right now are lessening your affections for Jesus. What does it look like this morning to return to him with your whole heart? Number four, that we would take refuge in him. Remember, we have a new identity in Christ. He's not just our king who rules over us. He is our savior and he gives us a new identity. He's our refuge I want you to think about the Christian life as one long journey of getting dressed in the identity of Christ. Paul says that the more we grow as Christians, the more that we're taking off the old clothes of finding our identity in our flesh. And we're putting on more and more the new clothes of finding our identity in Christ alone. No longer taking refuge in anything but Jesus, our King. What does it look like for you to worship God with fresh faith this morning? Jesus is the good king. So let's joyfully submit to his rule in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would move every single one of us to transformation and repentance in any ways that we are giving our hearts to lesser things rather than kissing the sun and giving all of our affection to Jesus. Any ways that we have been sitting on the sidelines rather than being involved with our family or neighbors or coworkers and being ambassadors for the kingdom. God, that we would, even tomorrow, that we, even today, that we would take opportunities to love and serve others and to speak the truth of the gospel as kingdom ambassadors. Lord, help us to remember that you are in total control and that our hope is not in this world today, but our hope is in when heaven comes down 
and the kingdom of God is expressed in its fullest form. Help us to remember that Jesus is in control. And yes, he is the king who will come in judgment against his enemies. But first, he came in grace and mercy and kindness so that we could move from enemies to friends, from enemies to sons and daughters. Help us to feel the weight of that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.